Good morning and welcome to ULEAD, the news and current affairs from Dalhousie and the University of King's College, nestled on unceded, unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. I'm your host, Carly Schogner. This week is reading week for Dal and King students, although the School of Journalism never sleeps. Stay tuned for a King's journalist who was alongside nationally known Desmond Cole. Last Sunday, Dalhousie closed its ballots for elections for nominations. King's, on the other hand, announced the election results from King's Student Union. Lian Zhao was elected president at 52.7%. Julia Simon Rutgers and Chris Pierce tied results for Board of Governors representatives at 38.5%. Izzy Ortner was elected external vice president at 88.4%. Isabel Reynold was elected external vice president at, at 93.6%. Michael Greenlaw was elected 91.5% for student life vice president. I spoke with him at King's. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So, born and raised in Halifax. I came to King's in 2014-15. I did FIP, did a year FIP, and then took a gap year to kind of travel, do some volunteer work, and discover myself. This past school year, I came back and wanted to get involved as much as I could, so I applied to be Orientation Week leader and uh, the scribe for the KSU, which basically means that I like take down all the notes during meetings and such, and I guess that spawned into me running for Student Life Vice President. What made you decide to, to, do, to run for this position? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, most of it came up with, uh, I was already involved with other union stuff, like orientation week, and, and I wanted to get involved in a larger capacity. I became friends with most of the members on council right now. I wanted to continue working them with them. My position as scribe, uh, I didn't get a talk at the table. I really wanted to voice my opinions and voice my concerns um, and advocate for students who weren't already being advocated for. Part of my campaign, um, I had three pillars in my campaign. One of them was reaching out to student athletes um, and getting them more involved on campus because th there's a wall down in the stairwell near the gender neutral washroom with like all the student athletes on it. Uh, and I realized that like I don't actually know a lot of those folks and I don't see their faces as much on campus and I figured that was a problem. And my other pillars included um, continuing uh, to support racialized students and better advocacy or awareness of mental health on campus and knowing where to find those resources. Mm. In regards to mental health, um, what do you see the situation as it is? Uh, how do you think it needs to be improved? Yeah, well, as someone who's struggled with mental health through my first year of King's, mm. I didn't really know where to go and going over to Dalhousie seemed uh, like a huge step for me and there's some other of my friends have voiced their same concerns. I guess moving forward I'd hope to make that transition over to Dalhousie a little less scary and a little less daunting and there's already like fantastic resources right now um, but I think a lot more awareness around those could, could be done but once you do reach out to Dalhousie it takes couple like a couple weeks for them to even get back to you which is pretty scary so hopefully making a support group or some support on campus for students who are in that transition and waiting stage I think is very important. What about the 
like the room downstairs, so they have office hours, uh, certain only a couple days a week. Would that include that, or are you trying to get the transition between going people going to Dow rather than going downstairs? No, I think I think going downstairs. I'm not actually familiar with the name downstairs right at the moment. Nor have I personally reached out to that resource. But I think that's a fantastic mental health service on campus. You got in with 91.5% for student vice president. Uh, why did you choose this position over the other ones? Yeah, um, good question. It was the one that I felt most comfortable with. I used to be the co-president of my high school, and a lot of the job descriptions for the student life vice president kind of aligned with what I've already done in the past, with kind of building a large community on campus. And I feel like I... I know a lot of people on campus and have a very like close personal connection with a lot of different demographics of people. And yeah, student life vice president is just kind of what I fell into, yeah. That's kind of interesting in the sense that um, I think of like, why do people get into student politics in the first place? And you mm-hmm. said you, you had done so in high school. What was your initial motivation, you know, to go beyond just, just being a student and being part of that that change or that a part of that decision making. Yeah, I guess it's a part of my lifestyle is to kind of get involved as much as possible with things, uh, just to keep really busy. Um, and I felt like I feel like if I get involved with a lot of things, I actually do better academically, which is really fun. What is the most important thing uh, in your position that you'd like to accomplish this year? I guess students feeling as if they're being advocated for supported and a part of the community that is just fantastic about King's Campus. I was talking to Chauncey Kennedy, the intern dean of students, and he was just like blown away with like the community aspect because he came from like Dalhousie and some other big schools and really fell in love with like the community aspect of King's and I guess I want students to become more aware of that they are part of a lovely community. (laughs) Yeah, Students are supporting each other outside of academia. I think that's really important because I think they just become more flourished people and do better in their classes. Marie Dolce Coros was elected financial vice president at 80%. I spoke with her on campus. I am um, from Ottawa. I'm a third year student here at King's in the Contemporary Studies program and I also study political science at Dalhousie. I kind of came to King's for FIP and stayed because I fell in love with King's and with the city. When did you first decide to run for any political position uh, on campus? I first decided to run for an elected position around February of of last year and was elected to the position of external vice president. Before that, I had kind of been involved with the union through like volunteering on campus and had been really active uh, kind of in my high school, so it's something that being active in the community that I'm a part of has always been something that I'm like passionate about and, and that drives me and I get a lot of joy and, and fulfillment from it. So something that I've kind of been doing for a while now, I guess. Why did you choose this position over another position available? 
the role of financial vice president kind of really appealed to me uh, because of a number of things that work is like a whole new portfolio compared to the work that I've been doing but also again like very similar in terms of the spirit of the work and the like the goals of the work um, so that attracted me in terms of this what would be compared to my last position kind of like a new a new chapter I guess and also because I've been really inspired by the work that Zoe Brimacombe who's our uh, SCP until the end of this term has been doing and, and seeing all of the work that she's put into it and, and everything that she does is really really inspiring and I'm so grateful that I got to watch her do it. <laughs> you probably know that uh, Kings is going through some some debts and I don't know it, will that impact your role at all in student union? Yeah um, like that's a conversation that um, is heard often when we're speaking with administrators um, and even speaking amongst ourselves as students. Um, as you alluded to, it's not <laughs> something that students don't know. Um, I think that comes up in like a variety of ways, but um, the, our student union believes in free and accessible education. Uh, believes in a, a Kings that um, is accessible to anyone who wants to be here. So I think the role of Students Union is to advocate for that um, regardless of the financial situation of the university, obviously keeping in mind uh, particularities, but doing that advocacy work and, and um, reminding our administrators and and government when <laughs> when we need to, that um, you know free education is possible. It's, it's not unheard of, and it's actually we're kind of in a really exciting spot nationally. 2019 is a federal election year. We have a, a new federal party uh, kind of discussing the option of, of free tuition as a platform, and uh, it's a conversation that uh, is at the point where it is now because of the work of students. Tell me a little bit about the role and like so what. What would be some of the roles that uh, P uh, students would see you doing? So the FVP typically has a lot of like uh, not super uh, visible roles. A lot of like um, uh, like paying people on time, making sure people have their checks, like <laughs> all of that kind of behind the scenes work, I guess. Some things that are a little bit more visible are things like preparing the union's budget. So I'm really excited to undertake that and have a really like consultative uh, process. So we started uh, this um, series of budget consultations that I'm hoping uh, to continue and, and kind of expand on a little bit. Um, in terms of advocacy, the FVP uh, sits on administrative committees. So I'll be doing a lot of work kind of in those spaces that otherwise that I guess that students have access to like through the seat of the financial vice president. Out of all the responsibilities, um, what what's the most important thing for you to achieve this year um, and why? Wow. Um, I guess um, I'm just really excited to spend a year working with um, with an executive team that's really excited to undertake this work and uh, um, work together, uh, yeah, for this year to make our campus, um, hopefully a little bit more accessible for folks, um, yeah. Well, was there something on the campus that you saw that you thought was in need of changing, and what is, was that the motivation for you to, to run? 
Um, I, I think that like there are a lot of things um, that kind of feed into that. Um, something that I'm like personally passionate about uh, is ensuring that our sexual violence policy has um, a dedicated person and dedicated funding. Um, so that's something that I'm excited to advocate for uh, to con continue uh, uh, work around. Yeah. You can find more on the KSU elections at King's Watch magazine online by student journalist Taryn Grant. You're listening to You Lead on CKDU at 88.1 FM. Of course, that was before I bought the Porsche and married my second wife, which, <laughs> I don't think I have to tell you, didn't end very well. But then I ended up discovering this amazing What is up with this guy? He's been talking forever. So all he does, talk, 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 talk. What about my feelings? What about my concerns? I have interesting things to say, you know, buddy. Doesn't anyone want to hear from me? Tired of just listening? The CKDU feedback line is your chance to talk back to us about what you're hearing on the air. Call CKDU's feedback line anytime, 24 hours a day, at 494-8041, and give us a piece of your mind. The CKDU feedback line, 494-8041. Let us listen to you. And then there was Lois, my third wife. <laughs> oh, boy. This is an alternative heritage moment. What are they doing over there at Joe's house? They're clearing the land and moving the people. It's a slum, John. It's about time those people stop being so different. I wonder why the city never brought services to this place. The only thing that seems to be getting built in this area is those toxic factories and that garbage dump. Well, they gotta build those things somewhere, John. You want them in your own backyard? Well, no. But all in one community? How long have we worked here, Pete? Never had issues with these colored people. That land is worth a lot of money. And those people would be better off if we move them out of here. Even if they don't want to go. In 1968, the last house in Africville, Halifax, was bulldozed to the ground. After years of racial discrimination and neglect, the town was destroyed under the guise of helping the people. No formal apologies and little compensation were given. Africville, a part of our heritage, at heritagemoments.ca. Journalist and activist Desmond Cole returned to Halifax for African Heritage Month. His time speaking this time speaking on a panel at Halifax Central Library. From Abdul Abdi to the importance of knowing African settler history, including Canada's slavery, student journalist Sandra Hannabohm of University of King's College was one of the panelists, featured alongside Desmond Cole, poet Elle Jones, and Vanessa Fells. I spoke with her on campus in reflection. So this is a pretty big deal for you to be on a panel with Desmond Cole, um, at the Halifax Library. How did that come about? Um, well, uh, how it came about actually is, is that uh, I was friends with um, Sylvia Paris of the Buddy Day Learning Institute. We just have coffee sometimes. She just catches up with me. I think that's actually something that people do on purpose. They uh, mentor young people whenever they run into them. So she made a point of catching up with me every couple of months just to have coffee and ask what I'm doing. So she asked me if I was interested in going on this panel and 
I had already met um, Desmond at King's College in October when he came for um, a workshop with the racialized students. So I was really excited to, to go. And I've also, of course, I've heard of Elle Jones and she's like a local hero for sure. So it was like a dream come true. What message stuck out to you the most uh, from last night? I suppose what stuck out to me a lot is something that uh, Vanessa Fells said. Her background is in education, and she was talking about what the work is for her, and that means working with youth all the time, teaching them about their history, and it gets to be really difficult for her. So she had this one example of of a workshop where she was giving where there were apparently only like eight black people in the room and they were um, teaching other people in the room about African Nova Scotian history, I guess. And this guy in the room said something really offensive and racist to her and nobody else stood up to say anything about it. And so she had to stand up and, and, and say something to him. Not in the moment, she like waited for a good time to say something to him. I don't know if if she made like a an impression on him because she was like would you say something like that about someone in the holocaust and he just was kind of like what and left like of course not but you know she was talking about how that made her feel really alone because there were only eight of them in the room and he said it in front of everybody and she had to kind of stand up for herself in that moment but the stronger message too was how you know she just told that story like it's just a part of her everyday life Speaking of Vanessa, and she was recently uh, at the UN in regards to African Nova Scotia's and housing. Um, did she speak about that at all? Uh, no, she didn't talk. She, she talked about her background and how she uh, went to Geneva. She recommends it. Apparently, um, it's this program where you, you apply for it, um, ask her when the applications are coming out, because she really recommends that anyone who can go to Geneva. <laughs> so in the discussion around uh, media and black lives in the media, how does that impact your role as a journalist and the things that you see? It makes me feel less weird for seeing things the way that I see them, for sure. And it makes me feel less guilty for having issues with how we see objectivity and all of that. Because, um, you know, we're, we're kind of taught this like whole CBC model, right? And it's it's uh, it makes sense because obviously they're the largest employer for us, but but the way that they see objectivity and it is not like it's not holistic, I guess it's not it's not really encompassing the truth in a sense. So going on the panel, I saw that Desmond and L and uh, a lot of other people in the room agreed that how we see objectivity is really limited and that we need to start talking about like what you can't just keep saying you don't have to be objective but be unbiased or or the other way around it's like you can't just keep saying that forever and not knowing what that means speaking of, of the cbc and you mentioned like cbc models um i've been hearing that a lot lately and so it's making me more curious like i didn't realize um about this as a phenomena um like what? What are the things that you you see um, when you're either is it reading or listening or tuning in as an African Nova Scotian that you see is the, what is wrong with that model? 
actually I've been thinking, well, I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, because I was anticipating the panel. But one thing that I, I kind of noticed, it's not something you think about every single day. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you're in class, there are lots of things that people talk about, and in the back of your head you kind of think, but but wait, that seems a little weird. Can we talk about that more? Mm-hmm. But you can't because you have to continue on with the lesson, right? But um, one of the things that I picked up on is that uh, one of the rules that we have is to not quote for information, right? And that seems like it makes sense because why would you say, um, you know, the politician says he's going to reduce taxes and then a quote, I'm going to reduce taxes. It's like, why, why would you do that, right? But one of the ways in which quoting for information is really important is when you're giving a community a voice to describe themselves. So like, um, and like I learned both of these perspectives at this school. So lucky for me, there's a diversity of perspective, but sometimes the way that a person describes their own situation and their own experience and even the facts of that experience are spot on and they just need that they just need to say it themselves. And that's an issue sometimes when you have journalists going to particular communities who are marginalized and telling their story as media is supposed to do but you don't give them the chance to voice their own perspectives because you only have room for one little line that shows something about what they're feeling, uh, right? Like that's what the quote's for, it's to, get a, to give us a sense of the human behind it, but not for the information. Sometimes those people have the knowledge, but you're not supposed to quote for that. Tell me a little bit more about, there was a focus on uh, we will tell our truths and the portrayal of black lives in the, in the media. What was the discussion around, around that hashtag and around those, that discussion that you were... I'm not yeah well I feel I feel like it was just like a side piece a little bit because like let's try to get a hashtag going if we can but um, it did help to kind of hashtags are useful sometimes because because when I was thinking what is this panel about and I saw the hashtag I thought okay I'm starting to get it it's about making room for black perspectives so that's that's how I started to see it I don't think that we had like centered the conversation around that in particular but um, the, the hashtag is supposed to, to mean that in the sense of passing the mic to somebody, you need to pass the mic. Mm. Like making room for black perspectives and different voices means giving them the space to tell their truths and not, um, not any other truth, right? Because personal experience is part of it and that's exactly what's missing from the media landscape. You and Desmond spoke about abandoning the language of diversity. Um, what did you mean by that? <laughs> I was really glad that he, he picked up on that um, because I mentioned something about it and like when it was his, his turn to speak, he kind of uh, continued the conversation on that. The language around diversity is so much of a band-aid. It's like, you might have been there when, uh, when this woman from CBC came uh, to the class to tell us about you know, her job, how to have a career in journalism and all that. She was talking about how like, their, ten, their Ten Commandments includes a, uh, a piece on diversity. So for the newsroom, they have like the seven tenets or something like that, and one of them is diversity, right? So an example that she gave of that was that um, she had this intern in the newsroom who came across um, she, she came across an issue that had to do with indigenous news, and she told her about it. She said, "That's great, write it, go ahead with it." And she's like, that's because it's really important to us. It didn't matter to us that she was just an intern. Of course, you should write the article, you know. And she went to that community and she asked them what was going on. And she wasn't even a diverse. And I thought, like, at first, that's just like a little slip up or something. 
Uh, but then she kept saying it, like she wasn't even a diverse person. You know, it, it, with us it's really important uh, to cover the stories even if you're not a diverse person. And that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, there's no such thing as a diverse. And like the problem that I have with that is that you can talk about how important it is to you and have no idea what it means. Mm. Um, so it becomes this band-aid where you say diversity is really important to me, but you don't have to say black lives are important to me or women's safety is important to me or you know freedom of your expression is important to me because you don't have to get that specific about it. What recommendations do you have going forward in regards to A, journalists, but B, viewers of, of journalism in regards to um, lives in the media? Um, I, would say, I would say to young journalists, to be more courageous in their own perspectives and if you're feeling really insecure about what you think and how it's different from what other people see write it down and you don't have to share it with anyone but later when you're a bit older and you've thought about it more you'll look back and you'll realize that you knew what you were thinking about you knew what you were seeing and uh, you should do something with it and when it comes to the public I would say especially to black communities that um, because of the limitations of objectivity on so many journalists and in their work environments that they have to deal with as well, even journalists who, who are racialized themselves um, can make mistakes because they're trying to be objective. So I think the best thing to do if you're a member of a black community and there's something you want to uh, uh, bring attention to, then you have to say it. You have to come out and say it because they will use your information, but they can't say anything on their own because that's the limitation of journalism right if if you see an MLA the only black MLA in the legislature is has been assaulted or been charged with uh, physical assault and you guess that probably it had something to do with the racism he was facing in the year leading up to that incident the journalist can't say it probably had something to do with the fact that he's been vocal about how racist it is there it's when those people came out with Rocky Jones and said, we're here because we want to show, I'm talking about Percy Paris, we want to show him that we understand whatever happened, although we can't know exactly what happened, that it is clear to us that it was the result of rising tension having to do with systemic racism and direct racism in the legislature, unfortunately. Um, and the news would not have been able to pick that up if it hadn't been for the fact that some people showed up to support him. Anything I missed it, you want to add? If someone invites you to something, just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. Check out next week the Racialized Students Collective series, including a poetry night and film screening of Moonlight at the University of King's College. Or, if you're interested in artificial intelligence, check out King's next automated series, Imagine Puppet Life, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Stay tuned next week with interviews with Dalhousie Student Union nominees. Up next, The Signal, CKDU Surprise, and Democracy Now! I'll leave you with a band from Iqaluit who visited Halifax in November and whose fiddler, Gina Burgess, is from Halifax, Bryfield. This is the Jerry Cans with Mamaktu, which is delicious, delicious seal stew in Inuktitut.